So when you look at your uh, sheet there that you've got, you'll notice the last sheet, the third sheet of your stapled copy there is the same as what I gave you last time we met. This is the, isn't it? Huh? Uh, it's not me. I'm not doing it. I don't know. So um, if it blows up, we'll all leave. <laughs> But if you notice the last sheet there, if you notice the last sheet is uh, the same as what we've been having for the kingdom of heaven. And so I was going to go to something different today. And as I was praying and, and starting another Bible study to go a different direction, the Lord kept bringing this back up to me. And I, I re I've read through this thing 25 times today. And finally, this afternoon, I kind of got a feel for what God was trying to direct me to. And so I want to start off tonight with a question for you. The title of this Bible study is Alive But Dead. So I want to start off with a question tonight. And the question is, is it possible to be alive but to be as dead? We said yes. So I said yes too when the Holy Spirit posed that question to me today. I said, well, yes. And so I wrote down, I, I thought of four words right off the bat. So I, I say I'm thinking of them, but you know what I'm saying. The Holy Spirit's leading and guiding me through this whole thing. None of this is mine. I did this in about an hour and 15 minutes. The Holy Spirit just unfolded it to me. So I'm not taking credit for any of this. If you don't like it, then don't talk, talk to the writer. Don't talk to me. I'm just throwing it on your doorstep. That's all I'm doing. So is it possible to be alive but to be as dead? And the, the answer is yes. And four examples of that is you can be comatose. To be comatose is to be in a state of deep unconsciousness for a prolonged or indefinite period, especially as a result of serious injury or illness. So number one is, yes, it is possible that you can still be alive. Now, alive simply means having a heart that beats, having lungs that breathe, having some sort of life without a machine but still be as one that is dead. And if you're comatose, then you are alive to some state, but you are as good as dead because you're not functioning. There's no movement. There's no, there's no contact. There's no, there's no relationship. You, you are as dead, even though your body is still basically functioning as alive. Second of all, to be hopeless. If you're hopeless, then you're as good as dead because all you're doing is living to die. Right? If you're hopeless, you're just living to die. You've got no hopes, of, it says right here, to have no expectation of good or success, to be in despair, not susceptible to any remedy or cure. So if you're hopeless by definition, then not only do you have no, success, no expectation of success, but you're in such despair that if somebody tries to help you, you don't want any help. You're hopeless. Somebody says, hey, I got a friend that's hiring. Okay, I'm not interested in the job because I probably won't get it anyway. You're hopeless. You're, you're totally caught up. And every day, all you're doing is living to die. You have no expe expectations of the future. You have no expectations of anything getting better. You, you have, and if somebody tries to help you, then you push back against their help. And you're just gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it wasn't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. You're hopeless. You can't help somebody that's hopeless. 
You can't, you can't, you can give them money and try to, and try to, try to put them up in a place and try to get their life established. But if they're hopeless, then as soon as you stop what you're doing, they'll revert right back to type. There's no change in their life because they have no expectation of a change. Number three is to be helpless. Helpless is different from hopeless because helpless means unable to defend oneself or to act without help. Total lack of self-discipline for control or restraint. If you're, if you're helpless, then, then there's just nothing, just like it says, unable to defend yourself or to act without help. You know, when I, when I read this today, this word came to my mind and I looked it up in the dictionary on my phone and... Um, because nobody has written dictionaries anymore. Anyway, when I looked it up, I thought about a story when Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans. Do, do y'all remember that? How could you forget it? That's all we saw for days and days. So the first day after Katrina hit and we saw the devastation of New Orleans, they interviewed a lady on a bridge. You may not remember this. You, don't know, you may not have seen it. But they were trying to interview people, and this lady was standing on a bridge. And there was water almost all around her. Uh, there was just, you know, the, the bridge, the road down below the bridge. You could get a little ways on that. But she's standing on this bridge. And this guy was talking to her. And he was asking her about her home. And she said her home was flooded. And he asked her about several things. But the last thing he said is, what are your prospects for a future? What are your prospects for a future? And I'll never forget her response. Her response was, I'm not concerned about a future. I want to know who's going to bring me some supper. That was her answer. I'm not concerned about the future. I just want to know who's going to bring me some supper. Helpless. Helpless. Can't figure out how to even eat unless somebody brings her some supper. Totally inept. And, does, and doesn't want to get any better. She wasn't going to try to go find something. She wasn't going to go try to, try to go find some place where they're distributing food. She wasn't going to try to wade back in there and rescue anything out of her house. She's standing on a bridge wanting to know who's going to bring her supper. Helpless. Totally dead. That's, that's a form of being dead. If you've got to depend on everybody else to do everything for you, you're as good as dead. Because the first time they can't bring you your supper, what are you going to do now? You don't, have enough, you don't have enough gumption about you to go do anything. And, and I, you know, I, I knew a guy. I know a guy. I'm kin to a guy <laughs> who, whose water lines froze to his house. And they, and they burst. And instead of fixing the water lines... He would buy bottled water and flush the toilets with bottled water when he flushed them. He had cats in the house, and they had done their business in carpets, and he had checks, had, had worked a good job, had a good retirement, had checks in a bowl. I think when they count, counted the amount of checks that hadn't been cashed, it was over $60,000. Is that right? It wasn't my dad, by the way. But... <laughs> But he had over $60,000 in retirement checks that were just sitting in a bowl. He had a car outside that, that had sat there for so long, all four tires were flat and it wouldn't run. And he's sitting there living 
in the attic of this house, he had, he had fixed it up where he could drop the ladder down because the house was so stinky and messy you didn't want to be in there. And he'd fixed it to where he could drop the ladder down and he slept and basically lived in the attic. And, and, I, and, and my dad showed up and he said, why are you living like this? Well, the water line's broke. Car won't run. Cat's messed up the floor. And, and my dad went out there and fixed the water lines. Patched the, put a patch on the PV, fixed the PVC broken lines, aired up the four tires, got the car started. It would start. It just backfired. It got hit, had water in, in the gas, I think. He got it to a mechanic. Mechanic repaired it, went through it all. It ran fine once that happened, got in there, got to helping him cleaning up the inside, took all $60,000 worth of checks, um, got, him, got the company he worked for to reissue them. And, uh, you know, but, but the guy living there was just helpless. Couldn't function. Would have starved to death with $60,000 in a bowl. Why? Because he was helpless. He was as good as dead, even though he was well alive. Last of all is to be defenseless, totally susceptible to physical or emotional attack or harm and unwilling to engage. Just letting life just beat you to death and never standing up for yourself. Never making any kind of change to try to make your life better. Just saying, well, you know, it is what it is. It just is what it is. And, you know, if that's the way it's going to be, then that's just the way it's going to be. If you're alive, you don't do that. If you're alive, you try to change things. If you're alive, you fight back. If you don't just let life push you around, you don't just let people push you around. You just don't let you just don't let everything just just slide. There. I mean, I'm I'm I'll, I'll walk across the street to avoid confrontation, but there's times when confrontation is needed. There's times whenever you got to say, I've walked across the street for the last time. I'm not walking there anymore. This is fixing to come to a head, and it's going to come to a head today. But if you're defenseless, you just let life just. Push you around. You're as good as dead. Because you're never going to get you're never going to get anything that you desire because anything that you desire in life, you're going to have to fight for. I don't know if your mom and daddy told you that growing up, but nothing comes to you free. Nothing comes to I, you know, I don't care if the government tells you this is free money. You better watch it. There's a hook in there somewhere. That bait, that bait looks awful good out there, singing, oh, look, this is free money, but I'm gonna tell you. They get your name and social security number on that list and all of a sudden you find out it ain't free. They got a hook in there. They want to pull you in. So four ways that you can be fully alive and yet fully dead. One, to be comatose. Two, to be hopeless. Three, to be helpless. And four, to be defenseless. So this last sheet is all the benefits that you have from being a saved member of the body of Christ. These are all the things that are available to you. This describes everything that you need in order to win the battles that God has given you to fight because God doesn't rescue you for life, from, from life. God doesn't rescue you from life, but he gives you the things that you need to be successful in life. You're good? Everybody good? In order to make this page, you've got to be not helpless, not hopeless, not defenseless, and not comatose. If you're spiritually comatose or you're spiritually hopeless, you're spiritually helpless or you're spiritually defenseless, then none of this list is available to you because you're dead. You're dead. 
Turn with me. If oh, I wanted to read you something. This is this is from um, this is from a book, uh, the autobiography of Charles Finney. Now I know most of you don't know who Finney was, but Charles Finney was an evangelist. I'm reading the back. Charles Finley was an evangelist living between 1782 and 1875. Um, it says that he became the most effective evangelist America has ever seen. Over half a million people were converted under his ministry in an age when there was no amplifiers, mass communication. He spearheaded revival across America, which literally altered the course of our national history. That's what this says back here. So this is Finney. He wasn't born. He wasn't saved. He wasn't a church man. He was a lawyer. That should tell you right there he wasn't saved. But anyway, <laughs> if you're watching on Facebook, I'm joking. But... He was a lawyer, and at this time in the 1790s, late 1790s, early 1800s, law was based on the Bible. So in order to better argue law, he joined a Bible study so he could learn more about the Bible so he could argue the law better because the law was so closely associated with the Bible. Well, when he got to go into this Bible study, he started realizing he was a sinner. He started realizing he was in need of a Savior. So this is, this is what I want you to hear. On one occasion, he says, when I was in one of the prayer meetings, I was asked if they did not desire that they should pray for me. I told them no, because I did not see that God answered their prayers. I said, I suppose that I need to be prayed for, for I'm conscious that I'm a sinner, but I do not see that it will do any good for you to pray for me, for you're continually asking, but never receiving. You have been praying for revival ever since I've been here in Adams, that's the name of a city, and yet you do not have it. You've been praying for the Holy Spirit to descend upon you, yet complain of your leanness. You have prayed enough since I've attended these meetings to have prayed the devil out of Adams if there was any virtue on your prayers. But here you are praying on and complaining still. And my question is, is that a definition of being dead? Helpless, hopeless, comatose, defenseless. Praying and praying and praying and praying and still complaining that you have nothing. And, and that can be the state of the body of Christ. We can be continually in prayer, but never expecting anything. Comatose, continually being hurt, continually being hurt. I mean, what would that be? That would be, that would be uh, defenseless, never willing to stand. We, we can be all of these things. And as long as we're these, as long as we're alive but dead, we'll never have this. So let's go to, tonight. Let's go to James. Back in the back of your Bible after Hebrews, the book of James. James is written to the church. This was probably the first book written in the New Testament. It was written about 45 A.D., James was the pastor of the First Assembly of God in Jerusalem. And he wrote this book, um, probably the first one that was, that was written. And James is writing this to the church. So, I want you to turn with me to James 2, and I want to look at verse 26. Verse 26 says this, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. The body without the spirit is dead. If you have a body of Christ, but there's no spirit, it's dead. So if you look on your sheet, it's, it's, it says, The body of Christ, those birthed into the new race of Jesus Christ, 
must have a spirit to be alive. You must have a spirit living within you to be alive. You must have a spirit living within you to be alive. You must have a spirit living within you to be alive. Romans 10 Romans chapter 10 tells us that just because someone comes down and prays a prayer does not mean they're saved. Just because you can say the right words and say amen in the right spot doesn't make you saved. You can walk away from a salvation opportunity just as dead as you came up there because there's no spirit in what you just did. We went to a thing, one of these um, deals where they um, have a, a, a recovery program for people that have been in drugs and alcohol. We went to one of those one night uh, several years back and, and I, had, I had determined that since I was a preacher and everything, I, I wanted other people to, because it really wasn't, I mean, I was just going there to be a part of what was going on. It wasn't focused on me. It was focused on somebody else. I wanted to make sure the focus stayed on them. So I, I stayed in the background. I, I stayed out. I let, I let everything go on in front of me, and I, I stayed in the shadows purposely. Well, they were down there praying with a guy, and all of a sudden this, this guy comes up to me and says, they want you down there. I said, oh, no, this is y'all's. I'm just, I'm just back here watching, praising, worshiping, but this is y'all's. They said, no, we want you down there. So I said, okay. So I got down there, and this guy was... Now, I haven't been around enough people that are drunk to really know. I mean, you know, people say, you know, an addict can recognize an addict, and a drunk can recognize a drunk, and, and I hadn't been around any of that very much enough to know but if I was going to take bets, I would have bet he had had a few before he got there. I just would have bet he would. I didn't smell it on him, but the looks of his eyes and the way he was talking, I thought, hmm, he's had a little bit before he got here. So I got down there, and the guy grabbed me. He says, he says, I want you to pray with our brother here because he's battling alcohol. And I looked at him, and you know, when somebody's saved, you can look in their eyes and there's something about their eyes that you can see. You know, you look in somebody's eyes and you can see Jesus in there. They say the eyes are the windows to the soul. I don't know about that, but I do know that if I look in somebody's eyes, I can tell if things are right or not. And I looked in his eyes and I said, something not right. And I said, uh, I said, how long have you been coming to this program? And he told me, I said, are you saved? And he got mad. Well, yeah, I'm saved. I said, well, I'm just asking. You know, it's, but what, what, would, you mind, would you mind praying with me? I'm already saved. I said, okay, well, then let's just pray. But, I mean, his response, his actions, the way he looked, the way he, you know, you can, you can be saved and slip up. That can happen. I mean, it happens probably there's nobody in this room, well, except me. There's no. <laughs> There's nobody in this room that have lived probably 20, 20, at least lived at least five years or four years or three years without doing something that you regret. So none of us are perfect. We're not going to, we're not perfect. But heavens to Betsy, most of us at least are repentant. I mean, whenever I fail the Lord, I, I, I want to I just beat myself over the head and call myself stupid for an hour 
because that's how I feel, because I fall, you know, I already knew, I, I knew I said, why didn't I stop this? What am I doing? You know? But if that spirit's not there, if you're dead and you think you're alive, Romans says this, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Christ from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So it's a two-part process here. With the heart man believes to righteousness and with the mouth confession is made into salvation. For the scripture says, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is over all, is rich, and, and unto all that call upon him. But to get saved, there's got to be a change of spirit in you. If there's no change of spirit, then you just said a few nice words and went and sat down. And you may feel better. You may feel better, but that don't mean you got saved. If you can walk out the door and go right back to your old lifestyle, then you're not saved. Because when you get saved, there's a change of your spirit. There's a spirit that comes alive. It's a life-giving spirit. Uh, I, I want you to look at something with me. We're going to go to John. It's just a few, chapter, a few books back. Book of John, chapter 20. And I'm going to tell you something that you've already heard. You already know this, but, but that, that spirit has to be alive. Where, where there's no spirit, the body's dead. Isn't that what James said? The body without the spirit is dead. So there has to be a spirit, a change of spirit. In, in John chapter 20, Jesus said in verse 22, And when he had breathed on them, he said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now they didn't speak in tongues. So they didn't receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I don't think Jesus just blew on them because he just wanted to blow on them. He wouldn't have said, receive you the Holy Spirit if they weren't receiving the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Jesus is not going to lie to them. So there was something that occurred here. And, and, the, and the secret is in the word breathed. And I told you this before, that word breathed is only used three times in your Bible. The first times it's used is whenever God breathed upon Adam. And Adam became a living soul. The second time that word is used is that in the book of Ezekiel for the valley of dry bones. When it said God breathed upon them and the, and the valley of dry bones, they, they came alive. So whenever the other two times that word is used, then whoever, a divine source did the breathing and the receiving party came alive from death. So Jesus breathed upon the disciples, not just to blow upon them, but to put life into them. To, he breathed into that spirit man. And just like us, when we get saved, now the disciples were already saved. I know that. But, but that spirit man, that spirit man needed to be awakened because before this, they are stomp dumb when it comes to understanding what Jesus says. They can't get anything spiritual in their head. Mary, the mother of Martha, is the most spiritual one of everybody. But the rest of them can't understand. So when Jesus breathed on them, what happened? The Bible always interprets the Bible. Did you hear me? The Bible always interprets the Bible. So somewhere in here, it's got to tell me what happened. So let's go to Luke 2445, thank you for asking where it was. Luke 2445, we'll see what happens when Jesus breathed on them. Luke 2445 tells me that he breathed on them, and it says that then he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. 
when Jesus breathed on them, that spirit man came alive. Because until there's spirit, the body's dead. But as soon as the spirit comes alive, the body, the body, the kingdom of heaven, wherever it went, comes alive. So until he breathed on them, they may have been doing the works of the kingdom, but now they were part of the kingdom because the spirit's now alive and no longer dead. Are you with me? All right. So... Um, the Old Testament type. I always like Old Testament types. Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, chapter 14. I was so glad I got to study this today. I had such a good time studying this. I don't know if you can tell it or not. But I had such a wonderful afternoon studying this. Leviticus 14 is a beautiful chapter because it's a chapter on the cleansing of the leper. Now, in, in, in the Old Testament, leprosy always represents a type of sin. It's a type of sin. Just like water and oil is a type of the Holy Spirit, leprosy is a type of sin. Leviticus 13 talks about a leper. What happens when a leper becomes a leper? Leviticus 14 talks about what happens when a leper is cleansed from leprosy. So the type in the New Testament is how a person is a sinner, and Leviticus 14 talks about him being cleansed of sin. Does that make sense? Did I go too fast? You okay? So the cleansing of leprosy in the Old Testament is the same as salvation in the New Testament. Okay? So let's look at what happens to the leper when he's cleansed from sin or from leprosy. If we go to Leviticus 14, verse 13 says, And he shall slay the lamb. Does that surprise you? No. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. So he shall slay the lamb in the place where he shall kill the sin offering and the burnt offering in the holy place. For as the sin offering is the priest, so is the trespass offering. It is most holy. And the priest shall take some of the blood of the trespass offering, and the priest shall put it on the tip of the right ear, that is this to be cleansed, upon the thumb of his right hand, and upon the great toe of his right foot. And the priest shall take some of the log of oil. Now what does oil represent in the Old Testament? The Holy Spirit. So he's going to take a little bit of the oil in his right hand, in his left hand, and shall sprinkle the oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. And then the rest of the oil that's in his hand shall the priest put the tip of his, shall put upon the tip of the right ear of him that is to be cleansed upon the thumb of his right hand and upon his great right toe upon the blood of the trespass offering. So what is that telling me in the New Testament? It tells me that when I get saved, the blood of Jesus Christ washes away my sins and then the Holy Spirit comes into my heart and makes me a new creature. Until that spirit comes in, I'm the same dead thing I was. But when that spirit comes in, then the spirit's there, and where the spirit is, there's life. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God. And that life is abundant life. And so when, when the Holy Spirit, when, when, when I get saved, I do have the Holy Spirit that comes and seals the blood of Jesus Christ. Paul calls it the earnest the earnest, it's the down payment. It's the thing that lets me know something happened inside of me that made me different. I'm now part of a different race. I have died to myself and I've come alive under Jesus Christ and now I'm following that second Adam. I'm now in the kingdom of heaven out of the kingdom of darkness. I've been reborn. How do I know I've been reborn? Because I've got a new spirit. Woo, my God. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> Woo, hallelujah. I've got a new spirit that's burning in my soul. Okay, let's keep going here. I'm not ever going to get through. 
The purpose of this life-given spirit. So what is the purpose of the newness of life that Jesus has just given me? Why did he give me this change of spirit? The purpose, John 15. Oh, back over to John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John 15. This is, man, this is so exciting. I swear, I uh, never, anyway. John 15, 26 and 27. Jesus says this. Am I right, chapter 15, 26 and 27. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceeds from the Father, he shall testify of me. He shall also bear witness because you have been with me, ye have been with me from the beginning. So that spirit, that comforter that comes within you, he's going to bear witness. He's going to bear witness within you that something has changed. That you're not the same man you were but when you walked down here. When you go out of this place, people around you are going to know something's changed. Something's weird about this. Something's, you're not the same person that you were. What's happened to you? I changed daddies. I've got a new spirit living within me. My old spirit's dead. My new spirit's alive. And because my new spirit is alive, now I'm a member of the kingdom of heaven. I'm no longer part of the kingdom of darkness. I've left that world. I died to it. And I've got a new spirit that now lives within my soul. And this comforter is bearing witness of that spirit that's living within me. <laughs> Woo. It's, it's good to be saved. Oh, it's good to be saved. It's good to know the Holy Spirit's living within me. And it doesn't matter if you're a Methodist or a Baptist or a Catholic or, or, or Episcopalian or a Lutheran or, or whatever. When you accept Jesus as Lord, and Christ, we're all the same. We're all equal in that. They got the same spirit I got. They received the same Jesus I did. I don't care what the name is on the door. If they received Christ and they changed, hallelujah. <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah. Then we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're going to live together because that spirit is what's, what's quickening the body. It makes the, the kingdom of God, the body of the kingdom of God, come alive because the spirit is now living within me and I'm no longer dead. I'm alive. And it doesn't matter what denomination or fellowship you're a part of as long as you receive Jesus and that spirit changes. Let's look at 16. Chapter 16, verses 12 through 15. Here's what that spirit does. I have told, I have many things yet to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he hears, that will he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine, therefore I said that he shall take of mine, and show it unto you. A little while, and you shall not see me, and again a little while you shall see me, and I go to my Father. How long am I supposed to? Uh, Fifteen. I am supposed to stop already. There you go. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore, he said, I shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. So as I grow in the Lord. Now, we're not talking about being baptized in the Holy Spirit here. We're just talking about getting saved. Okay. As I grow in the Lord, this book should become more alive to me. Whether I'm, whether I'm whatever denomination I am. 
because I'm saved, because I got a change in spirit. And now the comforter is opening up this book. He's revealing things to me. He's telling me things. He's, he's talking to me. He's ministering to me. Why? Because I've got the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm alive. I'm not dead. The Holy Spirit is the divine guide who will take us by the hand and lead us carefully and faithfully into full and complete understanding of the perfect will of God and will bring us into the place of personal victory and power. Did the, were the disciples filled with the Holy Spirit when they cast out devils? No. Were the disciples filled with the Holy Spirit when they laid their hands on the sick and they recovered? No. They were not. But they were moving in the power and the authority of Jesus Christ and they had a changed spirit within them because Jesus told them they were saved. When he went to wash their feet, he said, you're clean, but not all. He knew who wasn't. So they had, all they had was a salvation spirit. They didn't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So if you're in a Baptist church or another church that's not Pentecostal, you can be just as healed in that church as you can in this one. Or Episcopalian or Presbyterian or a Lutheran or a Catholic. doesn't matter as long as you're saved. As long as you're saved and your doctrine's right, then you can do the works that Jesus did because the Comforter's there. He's unfolding everything to you. There's life in your body. All ordinary men can do is decide on the basis of what they receive through their senses. But the Spirit, anointed Son, will make no mistakes. So I'm going to tell a story about you if it's okay, Brandon. For, you okay? Brandon calls me this week. He says, I want to ask you a question. I said, okay. And he asked me this question. And I said, well, I, I, I don't, I believe the Holy Spirit, he, he asked me about taking the job. And I told him, I said, I believe the Holy Spirit said for you to wait. So if you don't, how do you feel about it? And he said, I've been walking back and forth on this back porch just jittery as I can be ever since I got the phone call. I just know something's not right. What is that that's telling him that? That's the Spirit that's living in him. That's that Holy Spirit that's saying, no, no, no. He's, it's the Holy Spirit. It's God that's saying, don't do this. Give it time. Listen to me. That's, that tells him he's alive and not dead because he can sense the communion. He can sense the fellowship. He can sense the conscience. He can have the spiritual intuition to know what decisions to make because the person that's living on the inside of him through salvation is a genius and knows the future. Amen. Hallelujah. He's alive and not dead because the Spirit's alive. Turn with me if you would to Isaiah 11.2. Isaiah 11.2. Where is Isaiah? It's in this Bible. There it is. Isaiah chapter 11. Wonderful passage I'm fixing to read to you. I'm just going to read part of it to you. Isaiah 11.2 says, and there shall, 11, 1 says, and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Who is that? That's Jesus, right? He's a rod, came out of the stem of Jesse, a branch growing out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of the Lord is the urging, the knower that knows the inner sense that God is speaking, that the Holy Spirit is working 
that something is going on in the spirit world. And when you change daddies and you get the spirit of God living within you, then you know these things. You know that something is going on. Your knower is alive and well. You know when you sin because your knower says you've sinned. You know when you're taking the right steps because your knower gives you peace. You know when you should speak because the knower puts words in your mouth. You know when you should not speak because the Holy Spirit, the knower, says don't speak. It's that knower. It's that spirit of the Lord that lives within you that makes you no longer dead but alive in the kingdom of God. It puts life in that spirit man and stands him up so that he can know and understand all truths as the Holy Spirit leads us and convinces us of sin and of judgment and of righteousness. That happens by the power of the Holy Spirit that is alive within us at salvation. <laughs> Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Part one. Part two. Let's go back to James. Anybody have any questions or comments? I'm getting a little, I know I'm talking a little fast, so, but you're fixing to find out why. Keep going. James chapter 2, verse 26. For as the body without the spirit is dead. Are y'all there? I'm going to wait on you. I want you to read this with me. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. As the body without the spirit is dead. So what makes the body alive? It's the spirit. That's what we've been talking about for the last 25 minutes. We've been talking about the spirit that comes into us at salvation. And that's the oil that seals the blood. It's the earnest of a new life. It's the earnest that, of, of, of God that, that makes us alive and puts communion and intuition and conscience within us. It's, it guides us into all truth. It, it over, helps us to overcome sin and of judgment and teaches us righteousness. That's the spirit of God that lives within a man that's saved. So the, the body comes alive. Number two says, faith without works is dead does yours have a word after that? Also. So they're two different things. One of them is body without the spirit is dead. The other is faith without works is dead. So let's look here at James and let's see what James is talking about. He says this. If you go to verse uh, 14, he says, What does it profit, brethren, though a man say he have faith and have not works, can say, faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto him, Depart in peace and be warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give, the, not, give them not those things which are needful for the body, what does it profit? Even so faith, if it has not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man says, You have faith and I have works, but you show me thy faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. So, so what's he talking about here? He's talking about a faithfulness in God. Because if you come up to me and you say, man, I don't have enough money to even buy I mean, a Sonic burger on the way home and I got a $20 bill sitting in my pocket and I say, be warmed and be filled. But I don't give you my 20 bucks and say, hey, brother, here, go, go get your burger. Then my faith without my works is dead. Why wouldn't I give you my money? Why wouldn't I do it? Because I'm not sure God will give me another. I've told you this story. 
You may not laugh at it this time. You laughed at it every other time, but you may not laugh this time. My son, Kenan, we used to buy packs of gum, not them big tubs, but, you know, pack. It had about seven sticks in it. Remember those? Five sticks. It had five sticks in it. If Kenan had four sticks left because he had chewed one, and you say, hey, can I have a piece of gum? You know what he would tell you when he was a kid? I only have four left. I only have four left. To which we would say, I only want one. He would say, but then I only have three. What's he telling me? If I give you a stick, then I'm not sure I can get any more. I better hold on to what I got. And that's, that's faith without works. And it's dead. It does you no good and does me no good for me not to meet a need when it's in front of me and God has given me the ability to do it. John said, if you don't do that, how dwells the love of God in you? Now, I'm not talking about funding people's drug habits. Okay, I'm not talking about somebody that's got their electricity turned off 10 times and now they come to me and say, oh, I just can't pay my electric bill again. I may pay it once, but the second time you're going to get a job. <laughs> you've got to find something to do. Right? Because I don't want you to be helpless, hopeless, and, and defenseless. I want, you to, I want you to enjoy the same benef benefits of independence of the kingdom of God I enjoy. So I may help you the first time, but you keep, you keep coming back. The well is going to dry up pretty quick. It doesn't mean I don't love you. It just means you need to do something. Right? Does that sound mean? That does not mean, is it? So, but, but whenever you're helping somebody out, because you can and because you know they're good seed to sow good soil, good soil to sow good seed into, then you're demonstrating your faith by your works. Let's go on here for just a minute. 19 says, Thou believes there's one God, you do well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Here we go again. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son? Seeing thou how faith wrought with his works, and by faith was faith made by works was faith made perfect, as the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. So what is this? The first one was talking about faith, the fruit of faith, the faithfulness of God. What's this talking about? This is talking about the gift of faith. Should Abraham have come back down the hill with Isaac had he followed God's direction? Should he come back with him in the natural sense? The answer is no. He told him to, he told him to execute him and to burn him as an offering. There was no way Isaac was coming back down that hill if he followed what God had told him to do. But, did you hear that but? But, when we read in Hebrews 11, we find out that Abraham trusted God to believe that God would raise Isaac up from the ashes if he had to. That's not normal faith. That is the gift of faith. And the gift of faith that Abraham had was demonstrated by his works. So whenever you do something that you're 100% sure God has told you to do, but you're not 100% sure how it's going to work, and you're not 100% sure if it's going to work, like if you take a job that you know you're not qualified for, and you just say, I'm going to work there three days, and they're going to fire me because they're going to find out I'm stupid and I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> but you know God's telling you to do it. You feel his power. You know this is what God's told you to do, and you get there, and all of a sudden it's like things come like light bulbs are going off, and you suddenly say, well, this is easy. I know how to do this. There's nothing to this. I got this figured out. 
How did that happen? It's the gift of faith that God gave you, or the, the gift of faith that God gave you because you demonstrated faith by works. Does that make sense? I did what God told me to do, even though it didn't make sense, even though I was unqualified, even though I was positive it wasn't going to work, but God told me to do it, and I did it, and look where I am now. Every Christian, every Christian, did I say every? I meant every. Every Christian is going to come to the point where they have to learn that God is the supplier of their needs. You're going to have to pay your tithes when you don't have your tithes there to pay. You're going to have to pay your, you're going to have to pay your missions pledge whenever you have to let some bill go. You're going to have to do that. Why? Because you can't learn about the gift of faith if you don't have a work to make it happen. Another story you've heard a hundred times. My parents were behind, on a, not behind, but they had a house note that was due and they didn't have the money to pay it. Mom called us kids in, me and my brother in, told us to pray that they didn't have the money for the house note. And in my mind as a young boy, I thought we were going to be kicked out in the street. So, buddy, I was praying with everything that's within me, tears and everything. I mean, I, was, I didn't want to go out on the street. And, and, and we were just, that's where we were. So my dad told, later on said that he felt like the Holy Spirit said, if you have faith in me, then write the check. So dad went over there and wrote the check, the $117 house note. <laughs> it's been a while back. He wrote the check. And he said he set it there on the desk and he was praying and the Holy Spirit said, anybody can write a check. If you've got confidence in me, go put it in the mailbox. So I'm sure after dad argued a little bit, thought about it, he ripped it out of the checkbook, put it in the envelope, put a stamp on it, went out there and put it in the mailbox. Off it went. I was outside when the mailman ran. My dad was not a demonstrative person. He came here, you know that he's, he's quiet. He doesn't dance and shout. He's, he's quiet. That's so my mama can be loud because you can't have both. So one can be loud. The other's got to be quiet. I'm loud, so what does that tell you? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the quiet one. So dad went out there to the mailbox. He opened up the box. I was outside when it happened. He, he ripped open the envelope, and he looked, and he started dancing and shouting out at the mailbox because they had had an overpayment of an insurance the year before, and now, now it had been caught, and they had refunded him enough money to cover the check he just wrote. But see, faith didn't come alive without the work. You had to do the work first to see the faith. So, let's go on. The, where does that kind of faith come from? So let's look at Leviticus. Let's go back to the Old Testament type. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. I got to hurry here because I wanted to do something else and I'm, I got too excited here. Leviticus 14. Let's go back to Leviticus 14. Okay, we, we, talked about, we talked about the blood. We talked about the sealing with the oil. So we left the priest with this log of oil and a, and, a, and a bunch of oil in his left hand and a pint, a pint of oil in his right hand or the guy's holding a pint of oil and the priest has his hand with oil in his left hand. It says, and the remnant, verse 18, and the remnant of the oil that is in the priest's hand. So he's got oil. They filled his hand up with oil. He took his finger. He touched his ear. He touched his thumb. He touched his toe. He still got his hand with lots of oil in it. So the remnant of the oil that's in the priest's hand shall he pour upon the head of him that is to be cleansed 
and the priest shall make an atonement for him before the Lord. What is that pouring of the oil? If, if the blood represents the salvation of Jesus, the, the washing away of my sins, and the oil on the thumb represents the sealing of that salvation, then what does the, what does the second handful of oil represent? The baptism of the Holy Spirit, a second work done after salvation. You've got to be saved first before you can be filled. So that's the type. The blood sealed with the oil and then the second outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So, let's, let's, let's go over. We're talking about the gift of faith with works following. The gift of faith with works following. So, let's go over to Acts, the first chapter. I know I'm bouncing you back and forth here. So, the first thing, the body without the... The body without the spirit is dead. So there has to be a change in the spirit. But then faith without works is dead also. So Acts 1.8, Jesus tells the disciples, but you shall receive the Holy Spirit. We shall receive power after the Holy Spirit is come upon you. So is he talking about salvation there? No, the Holy Spirit's already in them. He's talking about the Holy Spirit coming upon them now. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the world. So this coming upon of the Holy Spirit is not for salvation. They're already saved. They're, the Spirit's living within them. The blood's washed away their sins. It's been sealed by the Holy Spirit. They're already saved. This second outpouring, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit is not for salvation. But it's so that they can be witnesses. So, is it to help them live a better life? Is the Holy Spirit poured out upon us to help us live a better life? Or is that better life lived because the Holy Spirit lives within us as salvation? I would think that we live a better life because the Holy Spirit's living within us as salvation. Jesus says this power is for works, right? Witnesses, works. Look at the, look at the title of the book it's in. Read the whole thing. Acts what? Acts of the Apostles. Acts of the Apostles. One more time. Acts. Of, Acts. What does Acts mean? Things they did. Works of the Apostles. That's the name of the book. The book is written to demonstrate the works that the apostles did after the Holy Spirit came upon them. <laughs> because now they've got faith that's demonstrated by works. When did they get that? When the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. The salvation faith's already there. The cleaning up of my life is already there. The, the, the knower's already living within me. Everything I need in order to follow Jesus is already there. Everything I need in order to pray the prayer of faith so that people can be set free is already there. Everything that I already have to be able to preach the Word of God is already there. But now the second thing, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, now gives me power to become a witness. Let's look at Acts 2.14. So you know in Acts 2, the baptism of the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. And what's the first thing that happened? Acts 2.14. 
Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice unto them and said, Ye men of Judea and ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be it known unto you and hearken to my words, for these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the apostle Joel, the prophet Joel. So now he's preaching and he don't have any notes. He's preaching without notes. He's preaching of things that he didn't understand 40 days, 10 days ago. Why? Because now he's got the Holy Spirit and now he has the ability to prophesy. To f not to foretell the future, but to foretell as if Jesus was standing there. When did that happen? When he was baptized in the Holy Ghost. And they were quickened in their heart and 3,000 now want to get saved. There's no arguing here. Why? Because now it's the power of the Holy Spirit through the anointing of the Holy Spirit that's given him that, that power to be able to speak and to do the works of God. I know they could save and heal and those things before. I know that. But now it's, 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 that same, it's that ability that causes them to recognize what's going on. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John went up together in the temple at the ninth hour at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour so that's three o'clock in the afternoon and a certain lame man from his what? Mother's womb was carried and there lay daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. So how long has he been at that gate? Long time. How many times has Peter and John passed him? A bunch. Who seeing Peter and John about to ask alms and Peter fastened his eyes upon him with John said, Look on us, and he gave heed, expecting to receive something. And Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Why didn't he do that the day before? He didn't recognize that. He didn't have that. He didn't, that power to be a witness wasn't, wasn't prevalent like it is now. It's amplified now. He sees a need. He knows the Lord wants to meet the need. And he knows now that he has, and he demonstrates the faith that he has to, to do that by works. So the faith without works is dead also, but if you have faith and you're doing the works, then you're alive. You're, you're working in the kingdom of God now. Does that make sense? Amen. Kingdom of heaven. Let's, I, I, I just wrote etc. Let's go to the last page. Oh, fully, 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 fully. Um... I'm just going to do this top half because I want to do, do something before we leave here and I've only got about seven minutes. So go with me to Revelation 4, 5 real quick. And you can study the rest of this. If you want me to go through it next, next time, I will. But, but, but let's look at this real quick. Revelation 4, verse 5. Are you there? And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices these were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are? How many Holy Spirits are there? How many does this say there are? Oh, my, now we got a dilemma. Now what do we do? Seven is the number of spiritual perfection. These lamps symbolize the Holy Spirit in his sevenfold fullness. These can be described as seven small pilots that work together to describe the workings of the burning, driving, 
portion of the Holy Spirit, the flame of God to work the works of God and to drive us closer to be like our elder brother, Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice the powerful words. This isn't my writing. I didn't, I didn't document it. I'm not sure who wrote this, but, but I didn't write this. But I want you to look at the powerful words he uses to document this, to do the works of God and to drive us closer, to be like our elder brother, Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit outpouring. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit that drives us. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit that forms the fire that's shut up in our bones. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit that causes us to try to, to follow the Holy Spirit in doing works of faith. Because faith without works is dead also. So for someone to be alive in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, not only do they have to have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of them that changes their spirit because the body without the spirit is dead. So when you have the spirit of God living in you, you are alive, but faith without works is dead also. So God gives us the power of the Holy Spirit to make us more keenly aware of the things that are around us, to make us more keenly aware of the, of the situation that we're going through, to, to cause us to be driven and pulled and forced and moving into the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, I'm not going to finish. <clears throat> 1922, a guy named Wiley Sanders showed up five miles out of Seguin, Texas and was met by the sheriff who told him, we don't allow tongue talkers in our city and you're not coming in. And so they talked to a guy that owned a cotton field that had been harvested and he let them set a tent up out there. And they set a tent up 100 feet inside a four bar, four wire, barbed wire fence inside that fence and there they set up a tent and they started having services. Well, the first few nights they had services, nobody showed up. It was just him and his wife and his two children and three guys that went with him to help him to put the tent up and down. He continued to preach. The second week, people started showing up at the four-strand barbed wire fence with him 100 feet away. By the way, this, this, from that back wall to that back wall is about 75 feet. So that should let you know how far they were away to jeer and holler and make fun of this guy that's out there preaching his heart out. At the end of 30 days, he said, this is not working. He pulled his tent stakes up. He put his tent down. He's leaving out of town. He stops at the rest area to clean up. This is in 1922. And the Holy Spirit said, who told you to leave? He said, Lord, this is not working. They're, they're just jeering at me. They're not, this is nothing's moving. I've been here 30 days. He said, I didn't tell you to leave. You go put the tent back up. Mr. Sanders said the tent went back up a lot easier the second time because he just put the pegs in the same holes. <laughs> Preached for another 29 days. That's not right. 30, 19 days. Preached for another 19 days with them jeering, throwing stuff at them, making fun, everything in the world you can imagine, burn over field, nothing going on. But on that 50th day, on the 50th day, as he began to preach, under the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. What is his work? His work is staying there preaching when he wants to go home. That's his work. He demonstrated his faith by his work. On the 50th day, as he began to preach, <clears throat> the power of God fell, and those people that were standing at the barbed wire fence, instead of jeering and making fun and throwing rotten tomatoes at them, suddenly began pushing the barbed wire fence down, some of them crawling on their knees that hundred feet to get into the, underneath that tent to ask God to save their soul. And their whole situation changed in a moment. But why? Because he demonstrated his faith by his work. 
And that's what the Holy Spirit does. It gives you the power to continue to demonstrate your faith by your works, even when it seems like your works are of no avail. So if we pray for somebody and pray for somebody and pray for somebody and pray for somebody and they're not healed and we say this isn't working, then all we, if the next time we pray for them, we're just continually to demonstrate our faith by our works, calling those things that are not as though they were. And why would we do that? Because we've been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and he said to pray expecting, right? So to be a member of the kingdom of heaven, you've got to have a body that has a spirit that's alive and you also have to have a faith that's willing to work. You can read the rest of this. It's the rest of uh, Isaiah 11 too, at your leisure. I think I'm done. I'm not going to be able to do what I wanted to do. So, sorry about that. Okay. Man. Let's, let's, sing, let's sing it one time. Real quick, and then we're going we're gonna to go through this one time. I'm not going to prolong this, but I just felt like the Holy Spirit wanted me to end with this song. And so if you'll stand with me tonight, we're going to sing this one time. And if you're, if you're sick in your body tonight, then you should, you should, after hearing this, you should know that healing is within the covenant and healing is within the power of God. And you demonstrate your faith by your works in proclaiming yourself to be well. It, we're going to, I don't even remember the song. What was it? I hope you remember it. Oh, good. You remember it. We're going to sing this and I just want you to worship the Lord for just a minute. If you want to pray, if you want to, whatever, whatever the Lord leads you to do for the next few minutes, the next couple of minutes, because we've got to get out of here. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> right, right. Okay, that's what... And, and that's, mm-hmm. I, I'm sorry, go ahead. So what y'all need, what I want you to do tonight while they're praying that is you just proclaim what you just said. Just proclaim it. Yeah. I do too. So as we sing this tonight, just whatever the Lord leads you to do, whatever prayer the Lord leads you to pray, just do that right now before we leave. Hallelujah. You're worthy of every song we could ever sing. You're worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. You're worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. Live for you. Live for you. Sing it again. 
worthy of every song we could ever sing. You're worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. You're worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Amen. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one that could ever save. You're worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you. Sing it again, amen. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one that could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. Live for you. We live for you. Father, we praise you tonight, Almighty God, for your love and your mercy and your grace.
Lord God, we thank you, Father God, for the spirit of faith, O oh God, that quickens our spirit, Almighty God. And Father, we thank you for the baptism of the Holy Spirit that gives us the power, Lord God, to do those works of faith, O oh God, that you've called us to do, God. And Lord, we pray tonight, Father God, that that Holy Spirit would be alive and well within us, O oh God. Yes. Father God, both in spirit, Lord God, and Father God, in works, that we might be able to work within the kingdom of heaven, O oh God that you might live within us, O oh God, that your anointing might direct us, O oh God, in all that we say and all that we do to give glory to Jesus Christ, O oh God, through the power of the Holy Spirit and thereby glorifying God the Father who is the author and finisher of all things. Lord, we praise you, Almighty God, for this opportunity, Lord. God, and I thank you, Father God, for taking my words tonight, God, and driving them into our hearts, O oh God. Father God, I just thank you, Lord God, for the anointing and the power, Lord God, and the direction that you've given in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you. Have a good week. We'll see you Sunday morning, Sunday school, 945. Everybody be on time at 945. <laughs> Amen.